Good evening, everybody. I am your solo host for right now, Neil Kulong, here on the New Standard Podcast. We are here today recording on, um, what night is this? Sunday night, January 1st. The Steelers have miraculously just defeated the Baltimore Ravens 16-13 to in M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. The second consecutive week, the Steelers needed a last-ditch heroic effort out of their offense in order to pull a victory out of complete thin air, in my opinion. Uh, Two very similar performances. This week against Baltimore, last week against the Las Vegas Raiders, and with it, the Steelers move to 8-8 on the season and are still somehow mathematically alive for the final wildcard spot in the AFC playoffs. Again, I am Neil Kulong. I am your host. Lance Williams is not with us tonight. He and his wife got a hotel room and are doing their taxes. So he won't be joining us. I do have a special guest with us, though. I'm going to bring in longtime supporter and friend of the program, Doug Farrar, Touchdown Wire editor. As always, Doug, we are more than uh, more than happy to have you on the show. It's great to see you again. How you doing? Why does Lance need a hotel room to do his taxes? I don't know. That's just what he told me. <laughs> Is he going to try to write that off? <laughs> hey, Lance, it's the start of the new fiscal year. You can't write the hotel room off until next year. I don't know. He just said uh, wife, hotel room, and I added the doing his taxes part, <laughs> um, mostly because I'm hoping he's listening. And other people get that joke. (laughs) Oh, I am punchy as hell. But Doug, oh my God, what is with this Steelers team? How are they winning these games? From what you've seen of it, I know that you probably haven't gotten completely all around it, but I I really don't understand how a team can look as abysmal as they did for much of their last two games and happen to be in a position to win the game late when they need to a point that it seems like they're allergic to the end zone unless they're down three, four points, five points uh, moving into the end of a game. And when Kenny Pickett and his small hands get the ball, something else just completely flips. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you can explain it. Well, to put it in Tomlinese, what are the commonalities of the things that transpire in these winning moments? <laughs> if they throw the ball, they actually complete more than one pass and drive. It is by necessity off off script and outside of structure. This is the most risk averse offense I can remember seeing at the NFL level, except for the last two years of Steelers offense when, uh, well, Ben's arm is cooked. So that's what they have to do. And they get a guy who had a really live arm at pit. I mean, I had made the joke before to you that uh, Kenny Pickett's ceiling is Kirk Cousins and his floor is Kirk Cousins. Well, Kirk Cousins is actually a pretty prolific deep passer. Uh, not today, but, um, you know, they, they took Pickett 20 because he can sort of do everything well and nothing spectacularly. They took Najee Harris because they desperately needed a running back and he can do everything well and not spectacularly. They went light on the offensive line, which is showed. Um, and they're just kind of keeping it together. They have a, a generational contested catch talent that they rarely throw to George Pickens has already showed his frustration and they're trying to, you know, tamp him down. I think what happens with this team is it's defense. It's Tomlin. 
it's the off script script stuff working because you can see Pickett like going through the RMB and I saw like 40 plays on there. I'm like, okay, there's a slant flat to the right, slant flat to the left, receiver screen, running back screen, um, you know, couple posts and rubs and whatnot. I, I think the rest of it's like what he's going to order from, you know, Katsu burger after the game or whatever the Pittsburgh from Katsu burger is. Um, so the, the off structure stuff, Burgatory? you'd like to see more of that. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm looking at this. And the thing is I was looking at uh, FO's uh, football outsiders in season splits. They've gone from, in the second half of the season, they've gone from 24th to 16th in offensive passing DVOA. They've gone from 26th to 5th in rushing DVOA. They've gone from 24th to 10th in overall offensive DVOA. So something's working. Um, I, I think it's partially picket sort of getting used to the NFL. Um, you know, I, you would know better than I would to what to attribute that to. But I think in the last two games, the Raiders game and this one, a lot of it's just Pickett sort of throwing off the yoke and saying, all right, I'm going to do what I do, and it works. I mean, and it's great. But you look at it, it it's, it's hard to explain. This team was, and you know this, they were one and four. They were two and five. They were three and seven. They were five and seven. They were five and eight, another eight and eight. And, and they look like a pretty decent in with the, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson led Cleveland Browns as their final uh, as their final out. So they'll be at least three point favorites in that game. Yeah, and you know, it's a lot of things. You know, we can say risk averse. We can talk about these players with low ceilings and high floors, but you know, a low ceiling, high floor team can be nine and eight. That's the kind of the record definition. If we say, you know, you are what your record says you are, that's not always true. But in this case, it kind of is because they are not equipped by scheme. They are equipped by personnel to a point, but the way it's set up, they're not sort of equipped to transcend their limitations. And that's okay because they have a coach who will keep it, you know, keep it regular, keep it medium. There aren't the, there are these huge variances, but they don't seem to affect this team as they affect other teams. And I would have to give that to Tomlin because we've seen this before. I think that's the part that really gets me more than anything else, because I, I wrote them off in the second quarter. This game was over in yeah. my mind. I wrote them off at, at uh, probably a couple points. Well, I didn't last week. Was yeah. choking on leads and Tyler Huntley isn't that good. And they're like, no, he's not, but it, it, that, that doesn't change the fact they, they don't, they don't continue to move the ball. They get inside right. the 20 and that's it. They, well, they, they don't have any explosion. Drive, they're like, okay, Pickett is just roaring down the field. And now you want George Pickens to block. So you can run this stupid end around thing. It's like, why they, they, they like they like to mix it up. Why, they like why? to mix it up. Like, come on. Whatever it is, the Steelers are a team, and I said this last year, and I didn't think that I would say it again because it just it doesn't seem possible. This is a team that, and please don't take this literally, but generally speaking, the only thing this team does well is win games, and yeah. they've only done that for half the season. Beyond that, um, I don't know how many sacks they had tonight. One, maybe. Uh, TJ Watt is, is continuing to 
I think, improve game to game, but he's nowhere near who he was last year, and we're not going to see that again for the rest of this season, I'm sure. Their offense is embarrassingly bad for large chunks of time in games. They ran the ball very well tonight. It's obvious that they were challenged up front. They wanted to establish the run and and stick with that. It worked to a certain degree. And then it didn't work. And the passing offense did not click at all until that final drive. I think they were worse offensively tonight than they were against the Raiders last week. It, it's, they somehow found themselves with the ball down 13-9. And one, it, it, it was just three, like the Raiders game. Yeah, one sack by Watt and then three quarterback hits. One And Watt had all three quarterback hits. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's that's mostly because they were basically daring him to crash hard so they could continue to run. And they were successful in doing that. He's not, he doesn't have the change of direction speed that we've seen of him in the past. And most players, frankly, which he can do. Yeah. But most players tell me if I'm wrong here, most players um, who have played at the level that TJ Watt has over the last three, four seasons do not continue to stay at that level. They peak at best. They'll stay up there. The legends give you six, seven, that level seasons mm-hmm. this there's a reason why I, there there aren't many of them recently though not even aaron donald has gotten uh all pro or excuse me uh defensive player of the year votes in three consecutive seasons right tj watts the only one to do that now his brother didn't even do that to stay at that level is extremely difficult to do maybe tj watt is coming down i don't know he's played a ton of snaps i just know that he is not the same player that he was last season. And for well, now, Joe, Green, Joe Green was the most unblockable defensive player I've ever seen in my life. And then you hurt his shoulder. What was that? 75, 76. Six. And then all of a sudden he was great, but he wasn't Superman. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. You can and still it, be great, but you lose when that. When you're on that thousand of a thousand pedestal, like it, Joe Green is the greatest defensive player I've ever seen in my life. You go down to 950. I remember talking to Richard Sherman about this earlier this year. It's like, if you're that kind of cornerback, any little tiny slip is major, 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 especially, you know, the on-off splits with and without Watt. They rely on him so much um, that, yeah, that, I mean, that, that can be a problem. Uh, And, you know, there's no sin in winning. The New York Giants won two Super Bowls under Tom Coughlin winning ugly pretty much all the time and you get hot things happen the i'm thinking of different teams that just had no business being there i mean the the patriots who got shellacked by the bears in super bowl 20 really didn't have any business being there you can you can get there and you can actually win it the the eagles won a super bowl with nick Foles as their quarterback for god's sake um so the definition of getting hot winning ugly. There's no sin in winning ugly. There is no sin in winning. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, I would say, and I don't, you would know a lot better than I would like the, if we were to rank Tomlin's seasons coaching, uh, this one has to be right up there because coaching isn't, you know, this coaching isn't, we're going to run, you know, 46 wham on second and three coaching is keeping everyone in line. Coaching is getting more out of what they have as individuals and you're, you're making up for that in the aggregate. Right. Between 2019, when they lost Ben, I would argue they never had Ben, and they ended up playing something called Duck Hodges for the majority of their games. Yeah. 
and to go, what were they, eight and eight with that team? Not uh, a very good team, a great defensive team, but an even worse offense than what they have now. That's pretty remarkable to keep that team together, to have them playing through to the end. Now they went on a three-game losing streak in the end because, well, believe it or not, the rest of the league figured out the secret to stopping Duck Hodges. So <laughs> time time was out at that point. Yeah, show much up. The secret is to show up. You, you really wish it was a 13-game season. When they were eight and five. Things were looking pretty good. But um, last season was a dumpster fire of a team. They were awful in, in many ways. Their defense completely fell apart at about the, the three-quarter mark um, to keep them invested and engaged uh, with a, a, a quarterback who just was done. It was obvious that he was done. Uh, we know now in retrospect it was well-planned that it was going to be done for sure. We speculated about it the whole season. He certainly played like he was done. Um, in the last four years, you might even argue, we got the, the 2020 team yeah. won 11 in a row to start the year. Yep. And fell apart down the stretch, but that team wasn't a whole lot different than than what these last few teams are. So, I, I think you're getting high level coaching out of Mike Tomlin, and it, it comes down to two things. There's one thing that I saw uh, on Twitter today from former Steelers guard Ramon Foster, mm-hmm. who tweeted something. I don't know the exact context, but uh, he was ju- he was just saying it something to the effect of. Oh, it's nothing. It's just Mike Tomlin going around telling everybody to to stay or to control their emotions, which is a very Tomlin-like thing to say. But you can see how that message would resonate. This team doesn't blink. That's a cliche Tomlin says all the time. They don't blink in these moments. They don't have a problem winning ugly, like what you said. Yeah, they don't care. It's what their skill is. They stay completely present, even if they look like total ass like they did for the majority of this game yeah, they had no did. business winning this game tonight they you really didn't, didn't. winning the raiders game either it, it obviously completely different personality types and the, the guy i'm about to compare him to certainly wore on people over time kind of like harbaugh jim not john um there's an element of billy martin to what tomlin does he will just not let you consider losing even when you lose he will not let you can. And Billy Martin, John Madden once said, if I had a baseball team and I could take any manager ever to like turn it around and at least get it too competitive, I would want Billy Martin above anyone else. And I would agree with that because yeah, he was, you know, straight up nuts, but boy, he, he knew how to motivate people. He knew how to keep it straight. Now what Tomlin doesn't do that Martin did is that everything would go careening off the cliff, but there is, and when you say don't blink, you have to show up every day, eyes wide open. That's your job as the head coach, as the CEO, as a 30,000-foot level guy. Um, and that's really hard to do. I mean, it's hard to do when everything's going well. And when it's not, I mean, you, you're, you could have had an argument with your daughter that morning. Your oatmeal was weird. You got stuck in – I mean, there are all kinds of things that can keep you off the path. You had to eat oatmeal for breakfast. That kind yeah, of thing would send yeah. me off the rails. I know that. Tomlin just has an, under, an internal understanding of how to keep it regular, how to keep it sane and okay. Even if we have lost X straight and we're one and four, you know, all those – points of lines of demarcation this season he has a way 
and you know i've i've listened to him talk and it it's really kind of it's like it, executives should, should listen to him he's almost presidential and i'm i'm not That's, sitting no i we we've discussed <laughs> that on this show i i yeah. wouldn't getting into that it's a completely different world that i i don't want to touch but, but at the I, same you time, know, I would pay money to hear his ted talk like how yeah. to, Yes, to, exactly. How to and build I'm, and maintain an organization and the structure over time, because he's done it for this long. I was looking up. Uh, well, these are uh, combined stats that I added to between ESPN and NBC since 2007. <laughs> the Steelers had scored 696 points in their games against the Ravens. Ravens had scored 695. Now it's Steelers 712, Ravens 708 after this game. 33rd yes. meeting between Talman and Harbaugh. Talman now is an 18 to 15 edge. That's pretty close. And that that's blown up recently. That's yeah. their their fifth win in the last six games against the Ravens. Yeah. They swept them two years prior to this, and they split this year. So, so um, with Tomlin, it they, just, they've been dead ass even up until now. And, and really, maybe the Roonies have a specific <laughs> skill in finding and attracting these types of people because Chuck Knoll would always say, you know, it's, he was the most in the box guy. I mean, not off the field where he would like, you know, drink wine and listen to classical music and be kind of a beatnik, but on, I mean, he just a cower, very emotional guy, but it was pretty, it's, you know, with a few exceptions, early eighties didn't go so well, but for the most part, it's, it's been a model of stability since 1999. (laughs) Since Woodstock and men walking on the moon, for God's sake, I, you know. So well, it's it's interesting. Maybe the Rudys have, have an interesting ability to spot people who can maintain an aura of consistency and foster a near future of consistency when it isn't even there. Tomlin seems to be able to bring it out of thin air, which is a remarkable skill. I would argue, Tomlin is the type of of lifetime student who would have studied these people and picked up on what you just said. Sure. He might not have known that when he was named head coach at age 36, but he certainly applied that. Yeah. And the interesting thing is where the Steelers are now, um, even with this win, even with a win next week to, to go to nine and eight overall to clinch his what 16th consecutive um, non losing season. And, we want to split hairs he just clinched his 16th consecutive season with at least eight wins Mm -hmm. um haters are going to love that stat but this is a a depression with the browns i'll laugh my ass off (laughs) oh god that oh man i didn't even think of that that might happen who knows uh this this historically speaking this is kind of a depression for the steelers they it's it's been a bit since they've had a competitive team. I mean, two years in a row, it's not like they, they, you know, if we want to count 2020 and to a degree 2019, which barely counts anyway, um, they won to a point and then the bottom fell out at the end. These teams have had to fight up. They've had to wrestle from the mat up uh, the whole season. And they got way behind this year. They're coming on strong at the end. You hope more than anything. And I have for the last couple of weeks, what this is doing is it's building toward next year, but, this team doesn't seem to know that it's bad. It doesn't seem to, to be aware of that. Um, Deontay Johnson came damn close to making a big play down the field. He had yards after the catch tonight. He hasn't had that pretty much all season. And that was after he got hit by a sniper and went down with an ankle injury. Everybody thought was you know a, a break. Uh, 
Um, he's back on the field two plays later, getting out there making plays. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick sealed a, a, a second consecutive win with an interception tonight. Huntley um, almost threw it to him two plays before. Yeah, yeah, Huntley. Uh, the, the fact that in two games against Tyler Huntley this season, they only got one takeaway is uh, that that's frustrating. Well, um, they managed to win another game that they had no business in winning. And I want to look over a little bit of how they did it. Statistically speaking, Kenny Pickett tonight, 15 of 27 for 168. Touchdown, just to, no just interceptions. Just riff on what you said about them not being really good for a long time. When was the last time they were like really good? 2017, maybe? 13-3? Uh, yeah, and that team grossly who, overachieved. Who did they have? The they had Bell, yeah, Antonio Brown. Um, Bell, Bell sat that year. Is that the year he sat? No. no, he sat in 2018. Yeah. Yes, they had they had the, the they killer had, were there. They had what I mean, they have these guys on Hayward, Watt, Minka. They have a few guys who are like outliers, but god it. I it's funny, I've done like seven mock drafts and I keep alternating between uh linebacker, offensive tackle, and cornerback. So I kind of know where the needs are. Um but when was the last time on offense they had a real like holy bleep guy? Brown, yeah. 2018 Brown. Yeah. Um, and the bottom fell out after that. Keep it's that really yeah, hard to win in today's NFL sense. if you don't have at least one holy bleep guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, just, it's tough to do. Ask ask the Ravens. <laughs> yeah. How they managed to, to have 10 wins right now uh, with what they have. It, it's pretty remarkable. Well, I, you know, I, I know I'm seeing this to Steelers fans. John Harbaugh's a pretty good coach, too. Yep. Kind of he is. Good. Yes, I mean they're they're this season perhaps more than than others in the past. They're just dead even in so many ways. Yep. They just do it differently. They kind of that, that's why these games end um, on on final possessions as often as they do. It comes down to offense versus defense for each team. It's because whatever their style is, however they get their respective jobs done, it comes down to that for them. That's how mm-hmm. they set things up. Um, in and tonight, uh, yeah, the Steelers got the better of them, and it was Baltimore last week or last time they played. I just wanted to go on that thought. Um, oh, Saturday doubleheader Chiefs, Raiders, Titans, Jaguars. Yep, we're gonna get to that in a second. Najee Harris had a season high 22 carries, 111 yards. That might be a career high. No, no, no. we had like a buck 60 against the Browns last year, didn't he? Something like that. Uh, definitely a career high 12 carries, 76 yards for Jalen Warren along with the longest run of the Steelers' season, 31 yards, uh, which makes up a good chunk of that. The Steelers had a season high, 198 yards rushing for a season high, forty-one on 41 carries, 4.8 yards a carry. 16 points, though, only nine of those came when they were running the ball uh, as effectively and as successfully as they were. Depends on how you want to define success. Some people would think that plays that lead to scoring uh, are more successful plays. If you look at the larger picture um, tonight, I'm not sure if that was the case, but the Steelers um, ran the ball considerably better than they have an excellent performance. I thought from an offensive line that uh, was pretty junk last week um, and pretty junk played... most of the season, honestly. No, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. I think it, well, now we're going to define junk uh, here on the, the new standard podcast. It, it's from where they started and what we could have expected them to be. And this is really metaphorical for the team as well. The offensive line over the second half of this season is vastly improved from where they were. 
Are they an elite unit? No. If they were fighting up to a C minus grade, great for them because they were as close to a flat F as, as you could get. They were clearly yeah. uh, one of the worst units in the league. That's not the case anymore. I think that they've, they've worked themselves up to a point that they're not terrible. And they showed it tonight. Now, granted, you didn't have Clay's Campbell in there, but this, this, they're not playing junk here. This is not a, a clown show across from them. That's a nasty defense. Third against the run, they just put 200 on them. Mm-hmm. I, uh, the offensive line was a huge part of that. We're going to credit Najee Harris. Don't worry. Everybody on the show knows, Doug, that I have not. I, I have held our flag for Najee Harris. Good at things, not great really in anything. He's going to be a, a literal four-yard to carry kind of guy when you get him at their best. Uh, I thought he ran with a certain level of passion tonight. Yeah, that uh, was inspiring. I think no, he, he I led think he, their team he, tonight. He ran the way he runs well, which is inside the tackles. He can bounce outside a little bit. Um, he is the proverbial: if you need four yards, he'll get you five. If you need eight yards, he'll get you five. He's not an explosive. We know this. I'm not going to get into the Jalen Warren's the explosive guy. Right. So they have that. Um, Watching this game, and I hadn't really watched the Steelers offense a lot this season. Um, It's been a tough watch when I have. My overall, just, you know, watch rewatching the the Raiders game and watching this game, you know, we can make Matt Canada jokes. I think what Canada wants is sustainability. I think he wants an offense that I don't want to say plotting, but sustaining. <laughs> no, plotting's just the result. I don't think that's what he wants. It's just <laughs> it's what happened. The question is in an NFL where it is more than ever about creating and preventing explosive plays, can you win when you need to by plotting? I mean, they 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 won here. They won, you know, so they they can win sometimes and, you know, sustaining instead of plotting. But my overall impression of what Matt Canada's philosophy is, is it's bottom of verse and it's top of verse. He wants to be in a safe middle. And I get that. I'm in Seattle. I've seen a lot of offensive coordinators like that in the last 12 or 13 years. Um, you know, the, the extent to which you can, transcend things in the playoffs i don't know but that that's my impression the overall offensive philosophy which has been you know discussed to death i don't think matt cannon is an idiot i think that he well let's put it this way i think he and greg roman are kind of in the same bag right now you have what you have and it's more about stringing things together than it is about the one or two or three big things and maybe that's where Maybe Canada would like to do something different, and he thinks that's just where he is. But that—that's my impression. How about this, Matt Canada? And we'll we'll patience people. We will get into Matt Canada's job security um, at another time where it's not eleven o'clock at night, and some of us have not been working since five a.m. What I want to point out about Canada's offense is, in the event he is not with the Steelers next season which is reasonable to to think that that might happen yeah um he is going to be uh barring next week's results very likely to be the only offensive coordinator in the modern nfl to oversee a receiver with at least 130 targets who did not score a touchdown 
And that is what is facing Deontay Johnson heading into week 18. Obviously the team is more important. We're more concerned with that, but the okay, fact you, you know me, I have to look this up now. He is something like 70 targets ahead of the second lowest. What Deontay Johnson's doing this season is flat historic. And it's just, it's insane. I've been saying for weeks, he's doing what he needs to be doing. He's still productive to, to the degree that this offense can be productive when they only play two drives a game for him to get the amount of targets that he gets to not score touchdowns uh, is it, it's hilarious to me at this point. And we've been talking about this since like week six, the fact he hasn't gotten in the end zone yet again. Um, and I thought he almost had a chance at, at one made a big play down the field. Uh, really nice catch. Unfortunately, he couldn't get his other foot in bounds on one, but um, tonight a must win game for the team. Two catches, 35 yards, the long of 21. He was catching the ball deeper down the field tonight. No touchdowns for Deontay, but uh, another just kind of weird game. Two catches on seven targets. He had five catches on seven targets last week. No touchdowns for Deontay Johnson. He has reached a fascinating list, by the way. Michael Timpson of the 1996 Chicago Bears had 109 targets. I don't know who that is. Amani Toomer for the 04 Giants, 107 targets, no touchdowns. Torrey Holt, 103 targets, huh. no touchdowns for the wow. 2009 Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, yeah, uh, I was going to say, it wasn't with no. the Rams, right? Akeem, Akeem Nix, 101 for the 2013 Giants. Leonard Fournette. He's he's probably a guy I would have thought of eventually. Yeah, LaVisca Chanel. Well, that was last year. Uh, these are running backs. Tiki Barber twice. Yeah, Cole Komet. That was last year. Okay. So how, how many targets? 100? Cole Komet? Yeah. Well, last year, 93, no touchdowns. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I must, maybe it was just wide receivers then. They so were that, yeah, about. Matt Nagy and Urban Meyer, that's two of the guys. But yeah. yeah so this, thank this you, Matt. Running. That's the point I was driving at. So 130 targets, no touchdowns. Uh, Michael Timpson is the set. Now I have to go watch 96 Bears huts to find out who the hell Michael Timpson is. Did, did, uh, was was that Wanstead's Bears? Please tell me it was. Uh, probably. Because so that would be phenomenal to put Matt Canada in a group with Dave Wanstead, Urban Meyer. And um, who was the other one? Uh, Wanstead and Urban Meyer are, are enough. Yeah, Dave Wanstead. Offensive coordinator, Ron Turner. There you go. <laughs> this is oh, this just gets so easy. Yeah, this is uh, wow. This as, is... as a media personality, I'm going to miss Matt Canada. Bad company to the guy. Yes, the, the Steelers offense. Top to bottom has been a, just an absolute clown show um, for the most part. But well, if you're risk averse, you're eventually going to disappear up your own asshole. That's how it works. Yeah, but they don't do that though. They find their asshole by the last drive of the game. It's just it, it, this is just the weirdest team. Um, and I was saying this last year. I'm beside myself now because they did it again. I, the other shoe was supposed to fall. It was supposed to fall last year. I don't the the fact that they have now won what seventeen games um, in the last two seasons and didn't lose eighteen of them. It, it's remarkable, and there are so many different things that you can credit for this. But what we're talking about is crediting uh, how far down we expected them to be. <laughs> so they're they're punching up 
because they're five foot three and they, they just have no business competing the soft uh, in a lot of these games. Low expectations. Yeah, that, that's a Tomlinism as well. Mm-hmm. So again, um, you're listening to the new standard podcast. I am Neil Kulong. I am usually joined by Lance Williams. He is not here, unfortunately, tonight out doing his taxes and on assignment uh, at a swanky hotel somewhere in California. Um, I am joined here tonight by Doug Farrar, our wonderful, wonderful friend, Touchdown Wire editor, Doug Farrar. Please check out his work, uh, touchdownwire.usatoday.com. Doug does fantastic work there, and he was nice enough to join me tonight. We are discussing the Steelers' 16-13 to win over rival Baltimore. Recently yeah. abandoned by Neil Kulong, by the way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I that's that's why I was gonna pay you to be on the show, but now that you brought it up, I'm not going to. Okay. I'm gonna spend my three dollars on something else. I, I didn't believe that anyway. Um what are we talking here? We're gonna wrap it up here in a little bit. Uh questions anybody has any, please drop them in the chat. Najee Harris, I think um probably his finest performance carry to carry considering the weight of the opponent tonight. Plus he pushed Pickett um, into the right gap on that QB. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, should have been credited with the tackle on that play, in fact. Um, wanted it more than the Ravens did, I guess. Um, I promised myself I would not get into great detail on this. However, I don't think we can discuss this game without discussing the 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct or unnecessary roughness penalty that was given to Steelers defensive tackle yeah, Cam Hayward, which is quite possibly the biggest bullshit call I've seen this season. And that's saying Un- unbelievably. Not, okay, th- you, you tell me, Neil, this is not recency bias. Officiating has been egreg- egregiously off the charts horrible this season. I honestly, I think it's officials are so sick and tired of hearing it from the league. And they know that everything that they do is scrutinized in uh, 1080p by every person watching the game. And they're going to hear about it constantly. And the best they have to hope for is to get a studio gig to be one of those guys that are all locked in place now that aren't probably going to leave those jobs for, for however long. And they're going to get criticized or they're going to get overly praised by whoever it is and then get criticized by all the people who stand against whatever call they just made. So they don't care. And in this case, the reason I say that is because the official who is coming into the pile, if if you're, you know, with all due respect, I don't mean to sound like a, a, a jerk, but if you are not even remotely of physical shape on a football field, you have no business trying to unpile 300 pound defensive tackles and offensive linemen. You just don't. So stand back because what might happen is you might get hit. And if that offends your delicate sensibilities so much that you feel that you're justified in throwing a flag, you don't need to be on the field at all. That's ridiculous. This is a rivalry game. We are not paying money in in time, cash, whatever. We're not putting in the effort to follow the sport and watch the Steelers Ravens for you to make calls like that. Steelers Ravens is never a pink tee. Yeah. It, that's, but that's, that's, that's why we like it. I, it I'm, Texans, Cardinals, if they were playing next week in the third quarter of a game, quarterback by God knows who for either of those teams by this point, nothing we saw in that play would have been flagged. Nothing at all. This game rises above that. But at the same time, at that point, it was not particularly chippy. It wasn't out of – nobody was nobody was dirty in this game. It wasn't overly violent. 
they're guys landing on top of each other. Of course, they don't want the guy on top of him. I mean, he's going to push him off a little bit. They're going to jaw jack. They're going to shove each other. It's not that big of a deal. If they threw the flag because he hit the ref, the reason he hit the ref is because the other guy, because uh, uh, Ronnie Stanley was in the bottom of the pile pulling Hayward forward. Yeah. And his arm went out and hit the ref. You're standing right there. If you can't see that and figure out what's going on, you shouldn't be on the field. Okay. It's, it's that simple to me. I'm tired of it. I am not somebody that bitches and complains about officiating, but that was a huge call. That was a huge call in this game. Should not have happened at all. Not to mention, I'm not, I'm not, okay, throw a flag for holding guy. I'm not that guy because people yell about holding all the time and don't understand what the rule is. Tonight, it looked pretty bad to me. They were, they were getting away with quite a bit inside. I saw it on both teams. If you're not calling it, that's great. Fine. I get it. But when you make an egregious call, over aggressive call like you did against Hayward, you you better be not you better be calling everything else to be consistent. But they weren't, so it, it's it was stupid, just a dumb call in a, a moment where no flag was necessary at all. But that's that. We're gonna wrap it up here, Doug. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, I went over probably a little bit longer than I wanted to, but um, thank you all for joining in again. My name is Neil Kulong. I am the uh normally the co-host here i'm really the junior host secondary to the legendary lance williams tax preparation <laughs> extraordinaire <laughs> i'm gonna keep making these jokes and i don't know mm-hmm. if anybody gets them or not um we are going to be back on the air again come wednesday we're going to discuss a meaningful steelers game as they are not not only are they not eliminated from the playoffs they have gone from a 0.2% to 1% to 2% to 25% chance of making the playoffs. We're going to go over the scenarios of that, which quickly told are they got to beat the Browns. They've got to get a loss in the Patriots. They got to get the Jets to beat the Dolphins. And I believe that's it now. Um, I've crossed a few of these off. Very plausible. Not impossible. Not a guarantee. Probably so what not you're in saying, favor Neil, of this Browns will be playing next week against a coach who actually understands that his team could be eliminated during the day, unlike Ron Rivera. Uh, that how that all played out. That caused an internal strife at my job. Um, apparently, that's not what he said. He chose to to be condescending and sarcastic to the point where. It not really sound like that. So is, I don't know what you want. Problem to is, do. no matter what you say after that, no one's going to believe you. He can yep. come out. He can come out forty-five days in a row and say, "I was only joking." He can go all the way to the combine when he's on the podium if he's still there. I was joking. No, you weren't. Well, doesn't well, matter. You you said it. That's all doesn't I know, matter. and I know that because I get in trouble for things that I say that I didn't mean in the way that it was. Taken. And you kept Carson Wentz in there when he threw three interceptions and all. Yeah, let's four. let's let's not you even get in there. That. You can't. Bad the only reason to keep Carson Wentz in a game at this point is because you think you can't. You you think you're bulletproof. I mean, good lord. I I don't. I. Kind what happened? What happened to Carson Wentz? People used to like him. God, I, how he's fallen. He's like, he's a Labrador <sighs> retriever. He's this perfectly nice kind of dorky guy who comes in the room and you ask him a series of questions and he has to think and he did what? Not good. 
Um, this is interesting. I would imagine uh, ESPN's Brooke Pryor was the pool reporter for oh. tonight's game. Is that up? Yeah, the SVP of officiating, Walt Anderson. Why can't they, why can't the refs? Don't they understand that, that I've gone on a rant about this? Why does Walt Anderson have to step in? Get the freaking ref there. Because it, well, it, it's the only. It seems like this is the only time of the week that they have questions about this, and the reason I say that is because they asked him. The pool reporter asked about the reversal of Deontay Johnson's catch. Oh. Well, I think he called it. Well, okay. Is that because maybe, maybe you can clarify this, Doug? Is that because they didn't let Harbaugh challenge it? They just overturned it on their own. They didn't go through that process. Oh no, 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 no! Clearly, so, his foot was Lance out of Clark, who was the official, actually did. Uh, just wanted to ask about the personal foul that was called on Cameron Hayward. What specifically did you see? Oh, I'm not that seeing call? that. Sorry. Uh, Clark said, well, there was some pushing and shoving after the play. Number 97 continued to push after the play, and that's why it was called. Question. Oh, that's, I hate this. Question, was it in the pile that you saw that? Clark, it was near the pile, yes. So near the pile. Correct. So he doesn't know. It's just... And then, they, so, what they're they the do. easiest lawyers possible. You, it, they are all lawyers. They are all litigators in some way, and they are are very skilled at knocking this stuff away from actually giving an actual answer. Yeah. And the reporter has to do things in in a certain yep cadence. So they ask these leading questions, expecting to get a full answer, and they never do. If you ask a lawyer to confirm whether or not a guy's in the pile, the only thing they're going to say is that he was in the pile. That's mm-hmm. not the point. Right. That had nothing to do with it. Why was he throw why did you throw a flag? That's what we want to know. You don't need to go in with the specifics. Ask him why he threw a flag. Well, because it was personal foul. Okay. Did he do anything specific that you saw? What was that? You, you have to grill them and they they don't do it. It drives me nuts. I don't know why they even bother with a pool reporter in this. The whole thing is just a sham. I don't. Yeah. Terrible call. I don't care what the official is going to say after the game because he threw the flag and he shouldn't have. The only thing he can say is that contact was made with him. But, well, frankly, you're going in there. You're going. Contact is going to be made. If you were on top of a bunch of guys lying on the ground trying to get off, they're going to hit you. Okay. He didn't try to do it. There's no way you could possibly say he tried to do it. We were done with the show, Doug. You you drug me back in. <clears throat> I am up late. I you am beyond crowded. Hey, Brooke is awesome, but I you know you care more about this stuff than I do. <laughs> I, I I looked at her. See, I care a lot. I am so tired of writing about officiating, but I keep writing about it. Um, I yeah. So it's one of my things. Not, not sure that's your fault. Might be theirs. But uh, thank you all for listening. We are happy that, uh, again, Steelers have prevailed. They are now at 8-8 this season with a 16-13 win over the Ravens in Baltimore Sunday night. Happy New Year. Happy conclusion to the holiday season for everybody. Please, as usual, I don't remember the whole thing somehow. I think it's probably because it's late. Something, tell a friend and subscribe.